0: This is Amanda, and this is Rachel, and this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. We are on episode 45. Rachel, this is so exciting! Oh, I um, can't believe who it. Who knew that our little podcast would make it this far? But this week we have a great guest. She has been a good friend of mine. Her entire family is Brienne Woodward. She is the choir director at Claire Driscoll Middle School down in San Antonio, Texas. Hi, Brienne. How are you?
1: I am wonderful. It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> every episode, we like to start with getting a sense of what drew you into music and vocal music specifically.
1: Oh, this is so fun. Okay. So this is a question I get to answer on job interviews, too, because they often wonder how a girl from Billings, Montana ended up in Texas. And it's all because of choir. It's all because of music and having uh, wonderful choir directors who encouraged me that my voice could be for something more than just a hobby. And that was really wonderful. So I had incredibly encouraged elementary and middle school teachers who told me, hey, you should do voice lessons. And I thought, that's for people who don't sing well, right? And they said, <laughs> no, you actually have potential. And I went, oh, well, that's neat. This thing that I love to do actually means that I could pursue it beyond just for fun. And that went into high school and I made it into the top choir as a freshman, which was a huge deal. There were, I think maybe three or four of us who were freshmen in the varsity choir. Mm -hmm. And I had a terrific director who got me hooked on the King Singers and Chanticleer and the Swingles. And I remember one of the most powerful experiences my first year of high school was singing Lonesome Road, which I think becomes an anthem for everybody who loves acapella at some point. And if not, where have you been? So (laughs) um, so I got really excited about what music could be when it was just standing with people and singing together. That was a very powerful experience for me, which then led to Allstate choirs and All Northwest Choir. And before you know it, I had these amazing directors coming up saying, so where are you going for college next year? And I was like, I'm 15. (laughs) And they'd say, well, you're going to call me in a few years. Here's my card. And I remember walking out to the bus when we were loading up after Allstate. And I looked at my friend and I started to cry. And she said, why are you crying? I said, I never thought that this was something that I could do. And I just had this wonderful affirmation from it was Andre Thomas from Florida State back when he was there. And he's and he had said, call me and I'm going, this is like those movies where, where somebody tells you, hey, music's going to change your life, and you're going to see the world and it was actually happening. So again, I am so incredibly grateful to the teachers who kept encouraging Matt as more than just a well, it's fun. So from there, that translated into eventually going to undergraduate in New Orleans, where I met this really adorable redheaded, Guy who sings too, and we were even seated next to each other in choir. So again, the love of acapella was just discovering many forms that it could take place. And and I loved him so much, and I wanted to impress him. And he was the barbershop guy, and so he put together a group that went to internationals in Seattle. No, it was Portland. Sorry, it was Portland. And so I flew out to surprise him. And I thought I, you know, honestly, barbershop tags scare me sometimes. They get pretty intense, <laughs> yes. especially when you're in the middle of one because they think that's fun. <laughs> but you know, I learned about barbershop, and he said he goes honestly. He said it's like Disneyland for old people. And we just sing and it's amazing. And I thought, (laughs) how cute are you that you at 20 years old think this is the best thing you could do with your life. But it taught me about, again, that example of whether it's a group of four, whether it's a group of 200, there's something incredible about raising our voices together and creating a world where music comes alive in Mm. a way that is so powerful, that is so inclusive, and and given the state of our world right now, so necessary. And it's the thing that we have not been able to do. Fast forward, we got married, it worked out pretty awesome, (laughs) I gotta say. (laughs) And so we have each worked in music since then trying to get kids excited about what music can be for you. Not that it has to be a a lifetime professional pursuit, but the the importance of having that in your life and that experience with other people will truly make you a better human. Mm. And (sighs) that makes our world better. So that's my little like, Tiny version of life (laughs) as I know it, and how I got music in, and then you know, acapella, acapella specifically, contemporary acapella became super important when we were just finishing up his treatment with cancer. That was the big thing for us. Matt had cancer in 2010; it was uh, testicular cancer, and he was trying to figure out, okay, if you beat this, then it means you have something incredible to do in your life. And Mm. so he came to me and he said, "I'm going to do this acapella competition." I said, "This what?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm going to have PFC try for it. It'd be something new. It'd be something." really cool. And this contemporary acapella stuff, I think they'd really like it. And I'm going, okay. Because again, you support ideas and dreams and whims. And you're like, sure, you want a boat? We'll buy you a boat. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, Even when it sounds crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You do it. So he went after that. And PFC, same thing. They ended up doing a wildcard submission. And they got it. And he came home. and He said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I said, well, now you're going to go to New York and you're going to win there. And he goes, Oh, okay. Ha ha ha. And so he goes, well, you're going as a chaperone. I said, yeah, I am. And I told the kids when we were there, I said, I had a dream last night. And this is actually a true story. I had a dream. I said, not only do you go, I said, you're going to win tonight. I said, and then NBC is going to call from the sing-off and they're going to ask you to audition for their show. And they all looked at me and went, oh, Miss Woodward, you're so great. But I, you know, I thought, no, really guys, because I believed in their message and I believed in these kids and I thought they were so darling. And I remember I was backstage and I was sitting there with Andy Poole and they were singing their set and I couldn't see them. I was just listening hard. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, she said, they're really good. I said, oh, thank you. Because our big goal was just make sure they don't embarrass themselves. You know, get to New York and to- <laughs> and, and then they won and the kids were in shock. And then the next day we're we're scrambling to get to Lincoln Center for their rehearsal. And so many of them just looked at me and just went, we're really here. We're really, this is really happening. And so to watch, you know, and when they announced it, I remember Matt leapt up over this balcony and it was a good 10 foot (laughs) drop, but you know, he did. He he took flight and I went, and my husband is flying because he couldn't get to that stage fast enough telling the kids. So it really was a Cinderella sort of story and we couldn't believe it. It was total shock. I remember calling, um, he called the fine arts directors for our district. To say, hey, we did this thing and the kids just won. And they said, Ucka, what? ICH, what? <laughs> because it, it was it was a term that was completely unfamiliar in Texas. And so we came back and realized, you know, we, and we did get the phone call. Sing off called and said, Hey, let's talk. They ended up not going through with it, but you know, it was just so funny. And Matt looked at me and goes, Okay, you want to get lottery numbers next. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were on a roll. Seriously. But what we realized was that there was such a tremendous letdown because we understood the enormity of that accomplishment, but nobody else really did. So again, you don't get mad about it, you realize that there's a need for education. And so you then realize, okay, then we've got to share this with other people and explain why this was a big deal. And then thanks to this wonderfully (laughs) hardworking, accomplished redhead I'm married to, he's now created so much interest in Texas that we now had to have our own little division when it comes to quarterfinals, semifinals, all that stuff, because so many kids got excited about it. And I told him, I said, you know, this is all your fault, right? And he just laughed at us. I said, (laughs) no, and I said, but really, I said, you empowered your kids so much, and they got excited. And that is a really neat thing to have shared with so many kids in Texas. And now that's, that's what we do. We look at how we create better humans through music. And acapella does that in such a powerful way that every kid in my program wants to be part of it in some way. They're just going, oh, they're so amazing. And choir becomes cool when you can put it up like that on stage. It's really amazing.
0: You know, PFC is kind of legendary in high school acapella, rightfully so. But Driscoll, for those of you that listeners that don't know, feeds in to the PFC program. So you are responsible for prepping them. And, you know, when I was in middle school, thinking about getting kids to sing without a piano or just sing in tune was didn't exist. <laughs> Not at my school anyway. So now that people like high school is a thing, it's established, people are looking younger and younger. So what is that experience like?
1: Well, the fun part is when the kids actually get to see the videos or, you know, usually I try to have um, our acapella groups come over and perform for them on one of our concerts. It's a great way to build that interest and the retention. But more importantly, showing them a video, telling them about it is nothing compared to watching PFC take the stage and do this in person. And it's so neat to watch their little brains internally explode. They just get so <laughs> excited and they have favorites and then they just go, oh, in the solo. And, and it's neat because for many of my middle school students, it engages them in a critical thinking way about music that they just haven't done before. And so they see PFC come over. And then after that, it's funny because it often changes their approach to rehearsal in class. Yeah. They're getting their music ready. They're getting markings down. They're challenging themselves. And it's no longer me saying, oh, you really should. It's that comparison to, you know, vegetables really are good for you and necessary. But suddenly, they love broccoli because PFC is broccoli. Or you know, I know it's a silly comparison. <laughs> no, that's a they, great comparison. <laughs> they see that you know there's importance in the daily disciplinary drills that we do, the yeah. scale work that you have to do, the ear training you have to do to understand how things, how to even recognize in tune versus out of tune. So again, I love that PFC for many of the kids becomes a major carrot to dangle, so to speak, because then they feel like okay, if I'm going to be part of that, I've got to work for that now. And that's our big thing because it's tough. Like you said, how do you even convince a middle school student to sing Mm. and at a time of such incredible scrutiny, at a time of such incredible individual insecurity? And that's (laughs) <laughs> that's nothing <laughs> short of magic. <laughs> and and you really do. You have to establish so much trust and safety for those kids. And I love you know a, a thing that I often tell parents when the little baby fifth graders come for their tour, I will explain, you know, I can't control much beyond the doors of this classroom, but within this space, your child is valued, your child is respected. And it's that adage of explaining it as the choir family. But I think that that's something that anyone who's been in a choir totally gets it because you don't have to like everybody in the room, but golly, do we love each other? Mhm. Nobody gets to hate on the family and we become very protective of one another. And so for many kids, they talked to me later about how that was their one safe place or that was the place where they could walk in no matter what day it was and things were okay. And so when you can establish a place where they can be vulnerable, then they're willing to try these things that will eventually lead them to PFC. There was a year that we tried to do the, the PFC arrangement of the climb that they did in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. my husband did an adaptation. I said, can you simplify? <laughs> because, <laughs> because that was the, yeah, so he, we did a simplified version of it and they realized just how tough it was just yeah. trying to even establish your simple 3 3-note three chords they went wait hold on is it dun or is it voon or is it-? <laughs> so they it just it was a really interesting challenge for them because they understood that if they couldn't read music it was going to limit them in terms of understanding how things started to lock together so yeah. So for us, it's just establishing comfort with your voice and willingness to be vulnerable and try a cappella, where you are completely exposed and there is no piano to save you or help you or hide you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder
2: if you can talk a little bit about where we are now. And, you know, you've spoken mm. so eloquently and beautifully about, <laughs> you know, sort of the, the family that you all create mm. and the opportunity to generate that in together. And, you know, it's a struggle right now. It we, we're all having just, I mean, even individually as humans to be apart mm-hmm. from each other, but even, but more broadly in, in this family space where you maybe are missing those people who have become your family. Mm-hmm. Can you
1: talk a little bit about what you foresee the program becoming mm-hmm. in the near future? That is the million dollar question, um, or in some cases, 1.2 billion dollars, if you're looking at school budgets and what we need to be doing. <laughs> this was, a, I mean, as everyone's well aware, the the last portion of the school year was so hard. And it took me a while to even understand what I was experiencing as the director. And I finally figured it out through, you know, various posts and, and people just trying to work it out on social media of what am I feeling? Why am I why am I great now? And then I'm terrible now. And I and I thought, oh we're grieving. Yeah. And that's what it came down to. Yeah. And it seemed like when we finally could express it that way, so many things made sense. And it was almost as if we had permission to experience what we were going through. So when we had approximately three days to roll into the online version of education, oh gee, which I'm affectionately calling treading water. And I think it was even our, the director for the Texas Education Agency even alluded to that saying is we've been treading water for two months. And that's what it came to. We didn't have, I'm not in a district that's a one-to-one technology campus. We didn't Mm. have that availability. We had kids with very limited technology access and internet access. And again, things that you couldn't even have anticipated. And yet (laughs) we were going to make, I think of Judy Garland, she goes, let's put on a show. So I thought, (laughs) oh, okay, we're just, we're gonna put on a show. And it's a conversation I had with several directors, you know, my two high schools that I feed into, we talked a lot about, okay, then what do we want to be able to do for these kids? What are things I need to have them able to do that I'm usually covering in these final months that I won't be able to, we ended up moving to, I I started my first day with a video of me out on the back patio with my son and with my dog and with my husband just saying, Hey, guys, because we didn't see each other. And usually when major world events happen, that was a talking point in class. And, you know, sometimes, people say, oh, well, they don't need to talk about it. I thought, no, they do. Because oftentimes our students don't have an adult to help them process things or their encounter with an adult is difficult. So I just said, well, let's talk about it. So I I was very love. Actually, I had little talking points that I held in my hands (laughs) and just talked about understanding what they were going through and allowing themselves to know that some days they're going to feel awesome and other days they're going to feel like, you know, this is just too hard. I tried to do little videos to at least see them as much as I could. Zoom calls, while they were wonderfully available, it was tough because my school, we had a family, there was a woman who was taking care of her eight grandchildren, and they were sharing one device trying to do all the schoolwork. Oh, so trying oh to God. have a set Zoom time to meet as a group, even just to say hello, was really difficult. And so we were asked by a lot of our administrators, be mindful of the fact that you have families in very dire circumstances that you can't anticipate. So don't punish a kid further and make them feel even more removed. Right. So you know, I tried to create a lot of optional, a lot of flexible. I would try to ask kids, okay, when could we meet? Because mm-hmm. I think it was so important that we had something that made us feel like we weren't just speaking out to avoid. Yeah. So you know, i do a few little things, and and again, borrowing from friends who had great ideas, we would do silly scavenger hunts, like okay, who's got toilet paper? And they go sprinting <laughs> off and come running back, and then and then I time them. So yeah, because again, in middle school, everything's a contest, and mm-hmm. let's make it fun. So it's like go. Outside and find something green. <laughs> and they come running back. <laughs> but at least it was movement. It was laughter. It was a little bit of levity among mm-hmm. such heaviness. Yeah. And so, getting back to the Judy Garland point, I decided, okay, I can't do the usual concert award show we always do. So, I gave them an opportunity to create their own music videos. I said, if you are technologically capable, it is as difficult or as easy as you want to make it. And we did a little playlist and we called it Wish You Were Here. And so, it was all the kids having a chance to reflect on the year and offer something for each other if they wanted to. I only had maybe I think 12 submissions, but they were darling. I had one student who dressed up as Judy Garland with a little stuffed Toto and did the whole sequence of dialogue before Somewhere Over the Rainbow and then she sang it. And I was just a wreck. It was so beautiful and so heartfelt. And it was really neat to see her creation and several kids who were some of my shyest students all year submitted these music videos. I'm going, what is this? And some of them have really amazing editing skills. So it was fun to see that. And then again, I asked for all of them as a Google form submission. And I said, okay, send me pictures of anything that was important this year or in the last three years for my eighth graders. And I put together a slideshow and I underscored it with a collaborative recording of the kids singing Lean On Me because we did an essay one week about Bill Withers. So I tried to just get them doing things that got them listening to music and thinking about it and using it as a way to process what they were experiencing. So during our Bill Withers assignment, they had four Bill Withers songs, tell me which one was your favorite and why. And many of them kept coming back to Lean On Me. They said, you know, it's a song I've always known, but I understand it in a new way now. Yeah so to see their takeaway on that i thought well then we need to sing it so and that was fun editing trying to put together a lot of interesting <laughs> recordings with family members and dogs and birds <laughs> <laughs> We did it, and it was really cool to have a collaboration so we could, in a way, sing together. Moving forward, we're both very, I say both, uh, my husband and I were apprehensive about what we're able to do with our students. There are some groups saying you can't possibly sing together in a room with people. There are some folks saying you can, as long as everyone's 80 feet apart on a football field in <laughs> Texas, where it's <sighs> approximately 4 million degrees on any day in August. <laughs> right. So I had to take a breath because that was really overwhelming. And it's not entirely my problem to solve, because a lot of those decisions are going to be made by the state level and the district level about what we can or cannot physically do. And once I can get a few more parameters, that helps me figure out a plan. So we just kind of feel like we're in this perpetual state of suspension. Mm. And that's exhausting. So we are hoping that in whatever capacity we're able to do so, we are going to get our kids singing. because, And it goes back to that wonderful hymn, How Can I from singing. <laughs> and so I told Matt, I said, that has to be our t-shirt theme. I've just decided because it will help all of us. Mm-hmm. So we're very apprehensive about what comes next. And while it will be in my hopes, you know, a temporary thing, as I learned a long time ago, temporary can be a really long time. Mm. Yes, and, and that's something we're not accustomed to. I had a little sixth grader who came through, we were doing our, our pickup drop off where, you know, it was, hi, your teachers are now drive through. Here we go. And so this little sixth grade girl came up and she looked at me and she she said, and she started to cry. I said, why are you crying? And she said, I'm never going to be able to have a day where I don't have a mask on and you have a mask on and I'm never going to be able to come to school again without masks. And will we ever be able to hug again? And and her mom's sitting oh. in the driver's seat. It's just as, as shattered as she is. And, and there were very real moments like that car after car. And I was going, mm. okay. And I just looked at her and I said, you know, it's going to be different. I said, I'm not going to tell you it's going to get better. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to get worse because either one of those could be wrong. I said, but it will be different. And I don't know when I said, and we are so, Accustomed to instant. Mm. We are so accustomed to having whatever we want immediately or having someone who will get right on that. And Amazon has spoiled us. And, you know, we're very indulged by that. Mm. And so this is a big learning curve of having to have that very much delayed gratification. And so I know that whatever we adapt to for the foreseeable future, fine. We will be making music in whatever way we can. We will be finding ways for students to sing. I'm just not sure what that format will be.
0: And so we're all just. Very eagerly awaiting (laughs) some sort of decision so we can get to work. Yeah. Because that's what we do. (laughs) Rachel and I both have sons in middle school. Oh. Um, (laughs) You know, I know both you and Matt, and I'm like, if only my child was going through this or even just regular school with Team Woodward for <laughs> six to seven years. Uh, Seriously. Um, so I'm going to send this interview to all of the teachers that he may have. Welcome to my child. <laughs> because he's going into sixth grade, so.
1: Oh, well, um, men's choir is my fave. I've got to tell you, I love my boys. Oh, I love my boys so much. They're they're so good. And that's a scary class. A lot of times people walk in and go, they're all in one room and they haven't had lunch. <laughs> <All> right, and- <laughs> But they're a terrific group. I love them. Oh, they're so good. (laughs) Do you deal with voice changing in the middle
2: of your season? Yes,
1: absolutely. Sometimes in the middle of class. I had a little boy one year and he was so darling. He came in. He was maybe not even five feet tall yet as a sixth grader. Cute little guy. And he had this adorable little high voice. And at Christmas, he came back and it was about an octave and a half lower. Wow. And he walked in he goes, he said, Miss, I'm a bass now. I'm a bass. And he pounds his chest and I said, (laughs) (laughs) Today you are. And then the next week that shifted too. But you know, a a thing we talk about a lot is that, you know, it's nothing that is your personal defect. And I literally, I bring out coins and I do the, here's the dime that is the size of your vocal folds. And we're going to talk about how your voice changes. And I pull out the penny, I pull out the nickel and I show them the quarter. And I tell the guys, I was like, you're becoming a quarterback from a dime. I said, there's going to be some shifting here and it's normal and it's okay. And the way you strengthen it is by singing through it and not thinking that you're terrible. I said, you know, if you've completely, I said, when you're learning, and I do a lot of sports analogy comparison because they understand that you don't start off at your best. Right. It takes training. It takes time. Sometimes your movement is going to be coordinated. Other times you are absolutely going to fall on your face. And so yeah, a big part of it is, yeah, you can keep singing. And a lot of them do. And again, it helps that I have a wonderful example because my husband uh, actually attended the middle school where I teach. And usually that question is, wait, you married a middle schooler? I'm like, no, guys. <laughs> like, to see to see. The he was here in the 90s, and they're like, Whoa, I oh know, long time Old ago. Ancient history. <laughs> oh, so it helps because he'll come by sometimes to work with the guys' group. And I think it's so important to have men come in and sing. Because yes. I'm, you know, I said I love singing and I'm happy to help you, but I am not the same instrument type. And I think it's important you hear that. So luckily, I have a lot of male directors who come in and work with the guys. And so Matt will sing his super low, cool, bassy notes, and then he'll lie up to a high C and it'll be room-filling, you know, earth shaking, and the boys just go, dude. And <laughs> and you can understand that your voice can do that. And that we understand that range is figuring out where your voice shines. It isn't necessarily if you have X number of notes, it makes you better than someone. It doesn't. It just means where is your instrument and where's the beauty in it and how confidently and and beautifully can you sing with it? Yeah. Love the boys. It's great. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's awesome.
1: So have you ever thought about, I know you prepare them for
2: the opportunities in high school, but have you ever thought Mm. about bringing it down to the middle school and
1: having your own opportunities there? We've tried and... And that's when a lot of their self-confidence starts to diminish gotcha. quickly. Because and, and this was something that we saw too in our distance learning segment that we just completed. So many of our kids were reluctant to submit any sort of videos or any sort of demonstrations, even just as a weekly quiz of, hey, could you sing the following sight reading? So many of them sent me panicked emails saying, please, can I do anything else except this? And I hadn't thought about it. When you ask for that sort of individualism, it assumes that you have a confident solo singer. Yeah. And when we had this flood, of everybody. And again, it it was the bless their hearts. Mm -hmm. Everyone we knew was saying, have you thought about a virtual choir? Have you Mm -hmm. thought about a virtual (laughs) choir? we just go, nod, Ah, because the technological demands were so incredible, and the yeah. time it, it, we loved the idea of it, but the reality of it was tough. And then I read an article and a friend expressed you're assuming that you have a, a, a soloistic voice that is confident enough to sing by themselves and hold right. a part and be okay and record. You know, let alone the technological demands of that. And I realized my kids are so scared to be perceived as wrong, mm. and so I think that insecurity is still definitely a battle that I have to contend with in the middle school. So I would love for them to have that opportunity. One of the things we have done as a way to bring it down, as you just said, Matt created an event called McSlag and it was the MacArthur Contemporary Acapella Anyway, he wanted to do a thing where PFC would host, and any of the feeder middle schools could come over to his school for the night, do a workshop with PFC, learn about how we do warm ups, how we approach improvisation, how we approach movement, and collaborate on a piece to perform that night for their families. And it ended up being a huge success, tons of interest. Lots of families showed up, and the kids had a blast because then it was what middle schoolers need that little bit of training wheel. The, yes. oh, I'm not sitting alone. I have this person who's helping me, and I can do this, which then trans- Transfers to I can confidently do this on my own campus. Because as you say, you know, we talked about retention is so important and making sure our programs still have relevance. And despite all of these wonderful things that we're doing, our numbers are dropping off every year. And to the point where we're seeing directors whose jobs have been eliminated in our district this year. And, And it's heartbreaking because our kids need this music so desperately. But a lot of parents are saying it's a time thing do they really need to do this? And so we've realized, again, it's an opportunity for education and people don't understand why this is such an important part of their child's development. So Matt moved forward with this idea of let's invite the kids over, let's do a collaborative thing. And it was so successful. And I thought, okay, this is what we need to do because it really did inject some much needed interest. And so the plan was we'll do it next year. (laughs) Ha ha. We got an email last week saying we are not to do any fundraisers this year. Travel will be limited, if at all. Um, You're allowed to go if there's a competition involved, but again, you can't fundraise for this because they don't want to ask the families for any more money because so much financial hardship has been placed on the entirety of the nation. So again, getting we're trying to figure out okay, adapt, (laughs) And, and it's a word that I teach my students a lot. Is how do you adapt? And that's a thing that we are learning a lot right now as educators. So I'm hoping that if we are able to move forward and get past the immediacy of this trauma, we can then work on bringing that down to the middle school kids and giving them that confidence and that connection. So I try to do things like that where they perform with PFC. And that was a, we did a collaborative national anthem performance for a Spurs game two years ago. And that was so exciting because the high school kids came down and they were nice and they talked to us and we took (laughs) selfies. And (laughs) and, and so I I have to remember that, you know, so often I see these middle schoolers who are in almost adult bodies. And I remind myself frequently that they're very much the little toddler that I was raising at my own house who's testing limits. And I'm having to discuss, no, we don't throw our food mm-hmm. with both my son and the eighth graders at lunch duty. <laughs> 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 but we'll get there. We'll get there. Once we can get past this, I think that there's a great opportunity to do some more of that collaboration and actually build upon that in the middle school.
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, I feel like we could talk with you all day. I'm like, I'm so <laughs> wrapped with everything that you have to say. I want you to be like my coach, my life coach. Um, <laughs> that's what I do in PFC honestly it's getting the kids ready for that because Matt will have me come in I do a lot of work with PFC once they're getting closer to their big contest stuff that's my specialty said so emotionally destroy them have fun <laughs> <laughs> well you are clearly gifted at that <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time.
2: This has been such a wonderful, illustrative conversation. And I feel so much, like, I don't know, I I feel so much hope. And I feel really sort of better equipped to move forward with
1: some of the things that are coming up. So thank you so much, Brianne, for your time. Absolutely. We have to keep going. And so often, we're the ones who set the example for those kids of how do I process and how do I deal? And if we collapse, it's why we're the people that they come to when the world is crazy for them. And so I thought, okay. Then we have to make sense of a crazy world. So we turn to music, and (laughs) however we can have that music, I'm going for it.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Brianne. So, Rachel, there was some big news in the barbershop community this week. And as a result of a lot of the, you know, it was spurred by a lot of the current culture broadly, but there was a petition that was started by Sweet Adeline's member to eliminate any songs that have racist lyrics or message or history, even. And the petition got a lot of support and the board of directors of Sweet Adelines made the announcement yesterday or the day before so when we were recording this that they would reject any song that falls under this category up to the point of disqualification in contests so this is this is a big change absolutely
2: and i'm i'm proud proud of the board for making this choice i think that this is the right side of history and they're they're choosing to make while it's a difficult change and there's a lot of emotional attachment I I think to certain songs that may have a history that is less than pleasant. I think it's the the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, and I would hope that other organizations. I mean, we don't, you know, even in BHS and occasionally in HI, one will sneak in, and in CASA events and other contemporary festivals and contests, like we do see these songs, and and oftentimes it's not done even on purpose, but people interpret the song differently or don't know the history behind the songs that they're singing, and this spotlights it. And I know there was a lot of back and forth of well, we're losing our culture, and people were upset about it, but then also like, why haven't we changed this yet? And I I Want to encourage people out there if you want to, if you're going to put the change in now, it's not too late. Be on the right side of history. Recognize it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to admit that you have learned. I know I have learned a lot in the last couple of weeks and months and lifetime. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew a lot. I thought I had educated myself. And yet every day I'm learning something new. I'm learning things that I was taught that was essentially whitewashed history or missing the other side of the story missing key parts of the story. Yeah,
2: I think I'm grateful that we're having these conversations. I feel for myself personally, I have a lot more that I think I need to learn. And I'm curious to engage with people to help me learn historical significance of music and events and things to help me just be more aware. And I think that organizations doing things like this just highlights that it's a
0: it's an important thing that we all need to be aware of as a way to make people people f- feel included. And feeling included isn't just opening the doors. It's actually making it a, you know, we just talked to Brienne. it's making it a safe, welcoming space where you're acknowledging things. And it's, it's not erasing history. We have to acknowledge the history, but we also have to, you know, we know better, so we have to do better. So this, I'm, I'm proud of them for making this change. I wish it had happened a long time ago, but it's happened now and we can be better moving forward. So thank you, Sweet Adelines. And hopefully we can have someone from Sweet Adelines, a leadership from Sweet Adelines, come on and talk to us soon about this and the many other wonderful things that Sweet Adelines are doing. We'll see you next Tuesday.
2: See you next Tuesday.